can open up to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians 5 will be in verses 15 through 21 together. Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 21, and uh, that can be found on page 1162 if, if you're using a pew Bible. Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 21. Before we read God's Word together, let's ask His blessing upon it. Father, we do ask uh, for Your blessing upon both the reading of Your Word and the preaching of Your Word this morning. Father, we know uh, that You speak even today to Your people in and through Your Word. And so we ask this morning that You would help us to hear Your voice and follow Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15, hear God's Word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Your congregation, last Sunday morning, we learned that this world is a dark place. And because it's a dark place, Christians are called to walk as children of light. Of course, it can also be said that this world is a dangerous place. And by that, I don't mean physically dangerous, although it certainly is. I mean, I mean spiritually dangerous. This world is a dangerous place. When Jesus was teaching us to pray, one of the requests he told us to make was, deliver us from evil. When Jesus was speaking to Peter on the night before he'd be crucified, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. And then when Peter wrote his letter to the church sometime later, Peter acknowledged this danger when he said to God's people, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. All right, it's clear from these, these passages of Scripture that this world is a dangerous place. There is one in this world who has it out for us and who wants to destroy our faith. Now let me ask you, what does this truth that this world is a dangerous place mean for our Christian walk? 
Well, what it means most simply is that we must walk carefully. We must walk carefully, and that's exactly what Paul calls us to do in our text this morning. Look at how our text begins with these words. Look carefully then how you walk. Paul is calling us to walk carefully, and the word translated carefully carries with it the idea of of accuracy. Paul is essentially saying, be accurate with your steps. We might think of I heard someone else use this, this illustration, but I think it's genius, it's brilliant. Think for a moment of, of a room with Legos strewn all over the floor. You need to walk to the other side of that room to get something. You're going to walk through that room very, very, very carefully, aren't you? Because you know how bad it hurts to step on one of those wretched little blocks. That's something of how Paul is telling Christians here to walk in this world. We're to walk through this world very, very carefully because this world is a dangerous place. So walk carefully. That is the main instruction given to us this morning. There are other instructions given to us, but that's the main one. All right? Walk carefully. Now, in the remainder of our text, Paul fleshes out this command to walk carefully with three not this, but that statements. Okay? He flushes out the command to walk carefully with three not this, but that statements. If your Bibles are open, you'll see them. The first is not as unwise, but as wise. The second is do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And the third one is do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, so there are three not this, but that statements. And these three statements are meant to show us how we walk carefully in this dangerous world. So let's just, let's just work through the three statements together this morning, and then we'll come back to this main command of walking carefully. The first, not this, but that statement, which Paul attaches to the command to walk carefully is this, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, throughout Scripture, there is a connection between wisdom and one's understanding of time. For instance, Psalm 90, verse 12 says this, So teach us to number our days aright, that we may get a heart of wisdom. The psalmist is essentially saying when we recognize that life is short, when we realize that before we know it, we'll be standing before God to give an account, we'll get a heart of wisdom. 
right? There is in scripture a connection between wisdom and one's understanding of time. The wise person in scripture is someone who realizes that life is short. He's someone who realizes that time is fleeting. He's someone who realizes that judgment is coming, and that's probably what Paul is getting at here when he adds the days are evil, all right? He's probably getting at the fact that that judgment is coming. The evil in this world is building up. The wise person realizes these things. He realizes that, that he will have to stand before his maker and give an account. And the wise person proceeds then to live accordingly. The wise person proceeds to live in light of what will be. The unwise person, on the other hand, doesn't use time wisely precisely because he or she takes no thought of the fleeting nature of life. He, he takes no thought of the grave or of eternity or of judgment. The unwise person lives for the here and the now, and the unwise person gratifies the desires of the flesh as they arise in his heart. The unwise person spends the, the breath-like time God gives him on frivolous things that are of no lasting value. Jonathan Edwards, uh, the great American theologian from the 1700s, is a, is a good example of one who, who walked carefully in this way. He made a list of resolutions which he committed to living his life by. There are lots of them. You can go read them all for yourself if you'd like, but, but just listen to some of the resolutions which Jonathan Edwards committed to live by. Here's one of them. I resolve never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, but what tends to the glory of God. Here's another one. I resolve to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all power, might, and vigor I am capable of. Still another one, I resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I can. And then finally, I resolve that I will live as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Jonathan Edwards understood what it meant to walk carefully, not as unwise, but as wise. What about you? What about me? Are we walking carefully? Are we living right now as those who are unwise or as those who are wise? Are we making the best use of the brief time God has given us? Or are we giving ourselves to frivolous and temporary things which are of no lasting value? Here's a question that really, really grips me, right? Are we, living are we living such a life before God right now that when we are lying on our deathbed, we will have very few regrets? Or are we living life in such a way right now that when we're lying on our deathbed, if this is the way things keep going, we're going to have many regrets? The person who walks carefully asks himself, asks herself those questions, lives in light of what will be. The second not this but that statement, 
which Paul attaches to the command, walk carefully, is this. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, the call to to not be foolish is simply an intensification of what was just said. Previously, Paul told us to not be unwise. To be unwise, by definition, is simply to be devoid of wisdom or without wisdom. To be foolish is to be more than just without wisdom. To be foolish is is really to be, to be stupid. That's where the word stupid fits. It's not a nice word to call your brother or sister, but it is a word in the English language, and that's where it fits. To be foolish is to be stupid. Think of, think of King David looking upon Bathsheba from his roof, calling her over, sleeping with her, finding out she's pregnant, calling her husband home from battle to cover up his sin and then having her husband killed in battle when he doesn't cooperate. Okay, that, that is foolishness. Of course, the Bible tells us who the fool is ultimately. The fool is one who says in his heart, there is no God. That's Psalm 14 verse 1. The fool is one who says in his heart, there is no God. That means he does not live or submit to God's authority. He he lives according to his own authority. Paul says, we're not to be this kind of person. We're not to be foolish. We're not not to be the kind of people who, who live as if there is no God. Instead, he says, we're to understand the will of the Lord. And that's most simply another way of saying that we're to be people of the word, right? It's, it's here that God reveals his will to us, right? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The one who understands the will of the Lord says there is a God. He has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ, and he has set forth his will for my life in and through his Word. So we, we walk carefully when we let God's word be our guide. We walk carefully when we order our lives around God's will as it's revealed to us in the scriptures. Okay, the moment we deviate from God's word, the moment we start following something other than God's word, like say our own wills and our own desires and our own hearts, we become foolish. Interestingly enough, the Bible says something else about the fool. Not only is the fool the person who says in his heart there is no God, the fool is also one who is reckless and careless. That's Proverbs 14, 16. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, that even as Paul calls us to walk carefully in this world, he tells us not to be foolish. Because the fool is someone who doesn't walk carefully. The fool is someone who walks recklessly. He's someone who runs across the room with Legos strewn all over the floor and steps on all of them and gets hurt. That's the fool. He's reckless. Let me ask, are you walking recklessly today? Is there a place in your life where you are substituting your will for God's will? If there is, you are being reckless and you are being careless. And you are saying in your heart, there is no 
God. Well, the last not this, but that statement, which Paul attaches to the command to walk carefully is this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now thus far, Paul has been speaking generally. We might say that he's been, he's been painting with broad strokes as he's called us to walk carefully. But here, here he gets specific. Here he homes in on one specific way in which God's people might fail to walk carefully. And it's, it's through drunkenness. Now the, the question is often asked, right? Why does Paul here focus our attention on this particular sin? I mean, certainly there are other sins which exist in the lives of God's people. Um, greed and lust, for instance, are, are sins that exist often in the lives of God's people. So why does Paul here highlight drunkenness? Well, some have suggested that, that perhaps this was a, a particular problem in the church in Ephesus. When Paul writes his letter to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, uh, he tells Timothy to not let men be elders who are given to drunkenness. Well, where is Timothy a pastor? Timothy's a pastor in Ephesus, right? So here in Ephesians, he speaks of drunkenness, and when he writes to the pastor, who is the pastor of the church of Ephesus, he also addresses the sin of drunkenness. And so I guess it is, it is possible that drunkenness was a besetting sin of the Christians in Ephesus. Uh, we don't know that for sure. Uh, we do know this for sure. Drunkenness is a very specific example of how any one of us might walk recklessly rather than carefully. Notice what Paul says about drunkenness. He says it's debauchery. The Greek word translated debauchery can also be translated recklessness. I, I have a program on my computer, or I can just click on the word, right click, and I can get the definition and all the Greek stuff that I need to sound smart before you. And um, I, I clicked on the word debauchery. I right clicked it. I said definition, and I brought up a Greek dictionary, and it, and it said uh, the Greek word could be translated debauchery, recklessness, or carelessness. Right? The word could also, be, could also be translated recklessness. That's what, that's what drunkenness is. It's, it's recklessness. And so drunkenness then is a specific example of the reckless life that Paul is calling, to, uh, calling us to avoid in this section of Scripture. Now what's probably most noteworthy is what Paul puts on the other side of this, of this equation. What's noteworthy is what he presents as, as an alternative to getting drunk, because you might think he'd say, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be sober-minded. There are other places in Scripture where we're commanded to be sober-minded, and that seems like it'd make the most sense here. That's not what Paul puts on the other side of this equation. No, he says, do not get drunk on wine. That is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, why is this noteworthy. Well, it's noteworthy, I think, because it certainly implies 
That one reason many of us don't know more of the Spirit's power and influence in our lives is because we drink too much. That that's certainly something that can be gleaned from this, right? One of the reasons God's people don't know more of the Spirit's power and influence in their lives is because they drink too much. And if that's you, note well, Paul is speaking to you here. And Paul is saying to you here, Christian, you want to live under the influence of something? Fine. But don't live under the influence of alcohol or any other worldly vice. Live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be the enlivening power in your life. Let the Holy Spirit bring into your life the joy and the gladness and the fellowship that the unbeliever looks in vain to alcohol for. Don't get drunk on wine. That's recklessness. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, the emphasis here is is on the command to be filled with the Spirit. So we'll spend most of the rest of our time just thinking about that command. And there are three things I want you to notice about this command. Be filled with the Spirit. First, like the command to walk as children of light, which we looked at last week, this command presupposes our identity in Christ. All right, in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us this in chapter 1, verse 13. There he writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, beloved, the only one who, who can be filled with the Spirit is the one who has already received the Spirit. Paul has told us we have received the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and you trust in Christ alone for salvation, you believe that your only hope before God is in Christ's blood shed on the cross for your sins, then you have received the Holy Spirit. You have. That's what Scripture tells us. The call to be filled with the Spirit, then, is simply a call to be who you are in Christ. It's simply a call to appropriate the Spirit's power and the Spirit's influence in your life. Second, the command to be filled with the Spirit is in the passive voice. What does that mean? Well, that means we don't fill ourselves with the Spirit, Right? We're not told to, you're not commanded to fill yourself with the Spirit. You're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Someone else is doing the filling. You're being called here ultimately to, to, to simply be receptive to what that someone else is doing. And of course, that someone else is God. Right? But the command is ultimately calling us here to, to humble ourselves before the Spirit and to ask the Holy Spirit to have his way in us. That's what we're being commanded to do. To open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? The Holy Spirit works in our lives through the word of God. 
Okay, even as drunkenness is a manifestation of the foolish life Paul is cautioning us against, so, so is being filled with the Spirit a manifestation of the life that understands the will of the Lord. Right? So you open yourself up to the Spirit's work in your life as you bring God's Word to bear on your life. Third, this command to be filled with the Spirit, it's in, it's in the present tense. That means this is an abiding command. This isn't something that we do and then move on to something else. No, this is something we do continually. The command be filled with the Spirit is a command that rests on you and me at all times. Right now, at this moment, as you sit here and listen to me, you are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Ten minutes from now, you are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Tomorrow morning when you get out of bed, you are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, this is, this is a command which rests on us and which continually calls us to obedience. We don't move beyond this command to be filled with the Spirit. Now in the remaining verses, Paul, Paul goes on to show us what the Spirit-filled life looks like. And of course, the reason he shows us what the Spirit-filled life looks like is so that we'll pursue the Spirit-filled life. We'll set our sights on the Spirit-filled life. We'll make it our goal to manifest the Spirit-filled life. And Paul sets before us three hallmarks of the Spirit-filled life in verses 19 and 20. The first hallmark is is corporate, Christ-exalting worship. That's what's described for us in verse 19. There we're told a Spirit-filled people will be addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and that they will sing and make melody to the Lord in their hearts. Let me ask you, when you sing here on a Sunday morning, do you realize that you're, you're not just singing to the Lord? Do you, do you realize you're also addressing one another? You're also addressing your brothers and sisters in Christ. Our opening song this morning was, well, the worship ladies know it's my favorite. I'd pick it every week if I could. Behold our God. Right? And as you sang that, yes, you were praising the Lord Jesus Christ, absolutely. But you were, also, you were also speaking to one another and you were also summoning one another to worship God and to stand before God in reverence and in awe. But when people are full of the Spirit, this is, this is what happens. They join with their brothers and sisters in Christ to worship Him. That's what Paul's telling us here. That's the first hallmark of the, of the Spirit-filled life, corporate, Christ-exalting worship. The second hallmark of the Spirit-filled life is, is thankfulness. We see that in verse 20a, where we're told the Spirit-filled Christian is giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever encountered one of those Christians where you look at their life and you don't envy their life at all? They just... They, they just don't seem to have, it's just difficult, right? And yet you talk to them and they're just, they're thankful. They're thankful. They're thankful for everything. It's a mark of the Spirit-filled life. Finally, the third hallmark of the Spirit-filled life is humble submission to others. Paul says that Spirit-filled Christians are those uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
So the spirit-filled person, like his Lord and Savior, is someone who puts others first. The spirit-filled person is someone who chooses to serve rather than to be served. I, uh, I know a woman who is, who is deep, 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 too deep, I think, in Pentecostal charismatic Christianity. And one day, as was some time ago, she, she shared a picture on Facebook of her and several people from her church laying on the floor in what appeared to me to be, to be passed out. And the caption she shared with this picture was, don't mind us, we're just slayed in the spirit. Now, if you'd, if you'd Google that term, slayed or slain in the spirit, you'd see that that's a term used amongst charismatic Christians to basically describe the experience of becoming so overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit that you just lose consciousness and pass out. And if you go to a very Pentecostal charismatic church even this morning, you might witness something of that happening in the service. Usually while they're singing, nobody passes out when the pastor's preaching, it don't seem like, but, but during the singing, you might, you might witness that. Well, the question I would have for such people is this. Is that really what the Bible tells us happens when a person is full of the Holy Spirit? Does the Bible teach us that when a person is full of the Holy Spirit, they pass out from spiritual ecstasy? No. In fact, the, the only time in Scripture I see anything even remotely close to that is in Revelation when John realizes that he's in the presence of the risen, exalted, and glorious Christ and just falls down at his feet as though dead. That's the only thing I see even remotely close to that. And let's remember, that's not an experience of being full of the Holy Spirit. That's an experience of standing before the risen, exalted, and glorious Christ. All right? It seems to me that if you want a biblical understanding of what it looks like to be full of the Holy Spirit, it is right here in Ephesians 5, verses 19 and 20. The one who is full of the Holy Spirit is the one who is singing praises to the Lord alongside his brothers and sisters in Christ. The one who is full of the Holy Spirit is the one who is grateful to God for everything. The one who is full of the Holy Spirit is the one who is continually serving others and looking to the interests of others over and above herself. That's what it looks like to be full of the Holy Spirit. And of course, in the larger context here, of walking carefully. Paul is saying, dear Christian, as you, as you walk through this world, this world which is full of, of so much spiritual danger, here are some really good and safe places to put your foot down. Here are some places where you can be sure that you will not step on those spiritual Legos, as it were. When you walk in corporate, Christ-exalting worship, 
When you walk in gratitude to God for all that he's given you in Christ, when you walk in humble submission and service to your neighbor, you can be sure you are walking carefully. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not as a fool, but as one who understands the will of the Lord. Not as one who is drunk on wine or who is under the influence of any other worldly vice, but as one who is full of the Holy Spirit. As I considered this instruction to walk carefully this week, I was reminded of a scene in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Christian and Hopeful, two of the characters, are on their way to the celestial city. And the road they're on at this point of the journey is hard. It's difficult. And they really want to get off it. Well, eventually, Christian notices a meadow, which seemingly runs parallel to the path they're walking. The meadow looks much more comfortable and appealing than the rough road they're on, and lo and behold, Christian notices a set of steps that will allow him to pass over the fence and into the meadow. Christian talks his friend Hopeful into crossing over the fence and into going in the meadow. And even though Hopeful is a bit worried because Hopeful knows we're not supposed to get off the the narrow road, Christian assures him, this meadow runs right alongside the path. We'll be just fine. Well, things start out okay in the meadow. The road is easier. But eventually, as time goes on, Christian and Hopeful discover that the meadow isn't all they thought it was. In fact, it turns out the meadow is quite dangerous. And crossing into the meadow, well, that was foolish. Christian and Hopeful decide to turn around and to go back the way they came from. But they can't find the way back. They can't find the stairs which will get them out of the meadow and back onto the narrow road. Eventually darkness sets in and they grope around in the darkness for a while looking for these stairs which will get them back on to the narrow road and eventually they just just decide "We we need to sleep here for the night. Well in the morning they are found by giant despair and giant despair takes Christian and hopeful into his dungeon and locks them up there. But that whole scene of crossing into the meadow is, is, is a warning for us to do what Paul says here. It's a warning for us to walk carefully. But the fact is, sometimes we don't, do we? Sometimes we don't. No, sometimes we do what Christian and Hopeful did. We jump the fence and we choose to walk in the broad meadow rather than on the narrow road that leads to life because we think it's easier. Maybe we lose sight of eternity and begin living for the moment. Maybe we become foolish as we begin putting our wills over God's will. Maybe we choose to live under the influence of alcohol or of money or of sex or of power rather than the Holy Spirit. Whatever the case might be, I do want you to know this. The way back onto the narrow road is not as difficult 
as Bunyan makes it seem in Pilgrim's Progress. You don't have to backtrack and grope around in the darkness looking for a stairway that will get you back onto the narrow road that leads to life. No, the entrance is ever and always right in front of you. At the foot of the cross, if you this day recognize that the road you're on is dangerous, and you humble yourself at the foot of the cross, and you confess your sins, and you take hold of the life and the salvation that Jesus offers you, you can today get on that road or get back on that road. You can. This is the hope of the gospel. There's always a way back for wanderers. There's always a way back for those who have strayed from the path of life. There's always a way back for those who have not guarded their steps and kept their feet from evil. Christ is the way. And by his blood, he puts those who have walked recklessly back on the right path. And he says, look carefully how you walk. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the caution uh, that is given to us in your word this morning to walk carefully in this dangerous world. Lord, we ask that you would give each and every one of us grace to do just that in the days and weeks ahead. Help us to walk carefully as those uh, who are wise and who make the most use of the time. Help us to walk carefully as those who understand what the will of the Lord is. Help us to walk carefully as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.